0: Hey everyone, welcome to Guards of Eden. Today's guest is Chloe Wiley. I was introduced to Wiley for an IGTV slash IG live series that she was running on Instagram, which was based around conversations of race with people that she had friendships with. It covered many different nuances in terms of industry and the black experience, and it allowed me to be introduced to her in that context and to find out more about her. So... When I did eventually find out more about Wiley, I think the thing that really struck me about her was she had this beautiful blend of strength and confidence and a really empowering energy combined with true vulnerability, true authenticity, which was really engaging and really intriguing for me to find out more about her. So after looking into her story a bit more, I got to learn that she is a great hybrid athlete, a fantastic powerlifter slash olympic lifter. She's actually held records for the UK before and that she had this beautiful other side as well which was based around spoken word and drama. It was just yeah it was it was a really interesting blend to see and the things that Wiley's been doing in terms of sharing her story and her experience as a black woman has been truly, truly incredible. I'm extremely grateful for this conversation. I love what Wiley's doing with her platform and the work that she's doing to help her hometown of Bath with cultural conversations. Just an extremely inspirational woman and another person I'm very, very honoured and humbled that I got to share a space with her and share a conversation with her. So without further ado, three, two one let's go hey wiley how you doing i'm good thanks mate how are you i'm good i'm good i love the artwork by the way that i'm catching like a little glimpse off in the background
1: yeah man it's by my uncle he painted it for me for
0: my 30th birthday so it's a one-off piece <laughs> oh dope i love it <laughs> so question number one can you give me a song that reminds you of a happy time or just makes you feel good
1: yeah, this is easy for me. This Ooh. is uh, J. Cole, No Role Models.
0: Yes. Like. Yes. <laughs>
1: it's just like, you know, when you want to get hyped, ready for a session, on a way to work, in the car, just want them flexing tunes. So, yeah, that's that's the one.
0: I love that. I love that because he's just bought out two tracks today and I've just been, like, listening to him all day. So, I'm yeah, in that massive. J. Cole headspace as well. So, that's amazing. But- <laughs> um, that is gonna live on the Guards of Eden soundtrack Spotify playlist. So that's yeah. that's Wiley's addition to it. Boom. So, growing up, what's a young Wiley like? How do you what, how do you remember your childhood and kind of what a young Wiley was like growing up?
1: So um, I was brought up in Bath. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's right next to Bristol. it's very it's a very white city. Um, and it's actually a lot of what I've been talking about at the moment. Because um, obviously with the whole Black Lives Matter, what's coming up. So a lot of people have been asking me what it was like growing up then. I've been openly speaking about it. Um, so growing up was, you know, br- brought up by my mum, brother and two sisters. Um, and it was, yeah, it wasn't like the easiest time um, growing up there. But it made me who I am today. So I used sports back then as, like, an escapism. Um, I was very, like, severely dyslexic. from And, like, just by the age of 9, 10, I still couldn't even, read like, read or, or write. Wow. It's a bit of a school problem. But, like, I can remember always being, like, it's cool once we get out of the playground, right? I'm going to be running everywhere. I'll be faster than everyone else. Like, so that was, like, my escapism. And, um, yeah, just having that... I've always had that drive like... Really, to be honest, um, I get that from from my nan. Um, she, I was very close to her, so she was always like, taught me, you know, nothing can stop you. It's about what you can do. Um, and I've just taken that um, throughout my whole life and into my adult life. Yeah, really.
0: yeah. a lot of your story, like, I feel like with people's life stories, there's like, almost if you think of it as like a movie and you have like themes for a movie, like the big theme that I kept coming across was competition was it um in terms of i know that you were like sporty growing up and obviously with what you do now we'll catch up about that like later on the podcast but is that something that you think about in terms of like competition being a big part of your life and would you say that you're quite competitive
1: i am competitive with myself
0: cool i like it uh,
1: yeah to be honest, it was always, um, like as a kid, I was, I, I was very shy, very, very shy. Believe it or not, I was very small, shy, like just little kids, um, very skinny. And hmm. um, so hmm. for me, it was always finding, like, how can I find more confidence? How can I, like, fit in with that group? How can I? And I, I was like, they used to call me like, mute as well. I never used to speak. Um, so... It, I had a lot of that anxiety growing up, but then when I was doing sports, so football was my first sport, right? Yeah. Four years old. Um, and that's cause my older brother played and I was playing in a boys team. Um, but that gave me like massive, massive, like confidence as in like, that's when I felt free to roam around and do what I could because being when you're that severely dyslexic and you're a quiet child, it was hard. It was very hard. You just felt, um, suppressed, felt stupid all the time but then obviously because I had the sports that was my release and then that just made me feel fine and that was when I was like okay can I be better than yesterday and that was more for myself than anyone else
0: yeah that that's so interesting to hear like I've obviously been introduced to you like kind of recently but I can't imagine you being quiet and shy (laughs) that's just so surreal because you're such a great speaker and the way you've been having these conversations which we'll also cover but is it almost weird to like, for people to hear that in terms of being able to say like, that's kind of how I grew up and it's like quite different to maybe the way I am now?
1: Yeah, like some people, I think if you really know me, you're, once people get to know me, they're like, oh, you are quite like shy and introvert. Mm-hmm. But like when I need to talk, I'll, I'll talk, right? Yeah. Um, I just talk for for no reason. But people who know me from back home and family and stuff like that, they I think they're quite like, oh, wow, look at her speaking out like they, that that's when i hear it a lot from they, yeah. they're going oh, you come a long way and um stuff like that and then how i got into the actual speaking out and why i did was um i went into fear lessons for confidence and to be able to talk
0: yeah how so, yeah yeah because then you get you get into dance right what how old do you remember like when you picked up your passion for dance
1: so yeah well, it, was, it was drama and performance oh, okay uh, yeah so all of it so so i must have been Kind of later, it was probably about 13. Okay. Um, I was still quite, I was at senior school and so I was doing, I went to a sports, uh, sports school, uh, okay. so I was doing really well at that. And then I started doing acting and then through the social services, we got introduced to theatre group okay. and then it was, yeah, um, I had a great mentor called Jamie Luck and he, um, yeah, he taught me how to become confident, how to, you um, speak how to articulate words how to I, all of it like this is what people realize Like I, all of this i've i've learned like i've learned from my from a young age till now
0: and um you've mentioned that you moved out 16 years old
1: yeah 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 moved young
0: how like <laughs> it's just so it's so hard for me to like i don't know to think of someone as that mature and making such a like huge step at such a young age were you someone that ended up like when you're at sixteen, you were like maybe a bit more mature for your age than like maybe th- friends of yours, or and kind of how was that adjustment to make?
1: Um, yeah, in in, in some ways, um, I was. So yeah, I, was, I literally, I think I was just fifteen, nearly no, sixteen when I when I moved out. Um, literally, I had nowhere to go at first, and I had to move on, move out to move forward with my life. Right. Um, things was going on at home and stuff like that, but when I moved out, I just knew I was never going back. I knew I had to keep moving forward. So in my head, it was this just, you just this has to work. This this that's it really. Like I didn't think about how old I was nothing like that. It was just taking one day at a time, one step at a time. When I was that age, I was um, at college full time. So I just started college. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working in a retail store um and then i was um in two theater groups as well at the same time wow and then wow. later on um i went to national youth theater and all at the same time doing this i not i look back and i think how did i do this at the same time i was still training like i did mainly um like athletics and kickboxing then so yeah it was just like just keep going keep going keep pushing and um, really and it was yeah i suppose i was mature in in that way mm-hmm. than others there was also a lot of immature in me in other ways um very naive
0: how did you um because yeah i spoke to kaya about this and the national youth fear you put me on because i first of all i'd never heard of it and then second of all you kind of spoke about how like the selective nature of it like how challenging it is to get in there um and kind of what it ends up becoming in that way. Can you yeah. speak to people like me before I heard you speak about it? Can you speak to people about what the National Youth Theatre is and just how challenging it is to actually get in the college not alone. I imagine once yeah. you get in there they're working you like super hard yeah. in there.
1: So um National Youth Theatre. So if you're in the performance world it's and you're young, that's <laughs> that's the theatre you want to get into. That's the the school you want to go for your training. So like I said, for by then, for a few years I had done um some acting some stuff like that and I heard of National Youth Theatre and I never thought in my wildest dreams I would be good enough to go into it. Like I just didn't think I'd be good enough. Um I didn't think I had the look for it. And I mean when I say look, I mean posh, white ideally, um dressed in Jack Wills back then, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I just remember yeah. <laughs> them, them days, yeah. So, <laughs> I was just like, I don't know how, how I'm going to do this. But then Jamie, like I said, he had he had a lot of faith in me. And um, he was like, do it. So we went to the audition. And each audition, there's a group of about 30, 30 young people in there. And one boy and one girl gets in from each group. I don't know what it is now, but back then, it was one boy, one girl. And I remember this day like it was yesterday, right? So obviously, I, I live my own life. I have no money. Jamie from the theatre takes me kindly in the car. So I was so blessed to have him. And I did um, Katharina's last speech from Taming of the Shrew.
0: Okay. I Shakespeare. Yeah.
1: So, and um, I was dressed in a track suit, um, Nike, uh Nike Jordan's. Uh, flat a snapback back to front. <laughs> this is me rocking up and I, I get there and i see all these kids and i'm thinking oh my god why am i here why am i doing this? <laughs> but you know i practice this piece and i just modified it to my own way mm. with, a, with a flow and i went into the audition and um yeah you, know, you do they make you do like loads of different stuff and then you do your monologue as well yeah. so see how you interact with people and then, um, yeah, you do monologue and like, that was it. And then you don't hear back in for like three months. And then I can remember just getting like, I didn't have a fixed address then either. So mm. the letter actually went to the theater where I was doing a lot of work for. Yeah. I remember going there and they were all standing there and they were like, I was like, what? And they were like, you got in. And I was like, what? It's mad. So for me, that was like actually when I was younger, that was probably one of the turning points in my life that mm. actually, You can achieve a lot, and if you're unapologetic about doing it, because I could have gone there and just changed my whole image, right? Just to fit in, and I I didn't want to do that, and I didn't do that, and I'm like, if I were like, was going back to my younger self, I'll like thank my younger self for like not changing how I was. And then yeah, so it it was it was a tough thing to get into, and then you go to this training camp for like three weeks in the summer, and then that's yeah, that's where I met Kaya. Hey.
0: um that brings up a really interesting point in my head something that i noticed with you now is that you are like well of course it's my perception of it but you are like very authentic you're very much like unapologetically you in every sense of the word where do you think that comes from like to be able to like know that at such a young age because i don't think i had the confidence in who i am and like who i was to have that as a part of who i like my fiber growing up like Mm. Where do you think you got that from in terms of just like, I'm going to be Wiley, that's me, I don't need to change for anyone. That's like, it speaks to like a really high self-esteem, which could have been challenging Go like you said, going to that kind of college where I'm assuming it's like a bit elitist, a bit classist. Yeah, Um, very. So yeah, where do you think that comes from?
1: Honestly, back then I didn't feel like that. Uh, And there was always doubts in my head, like maybe I should change and stuff like that. Uh, I I would say in the last few years of my life that I've really embraced it and really am like, you know, Um, where it came from. I think it was just like, you know, I'm comfortable with this. It works for me. Mm. And when I brought up, I was actually brought up around a lot of boys. So it was obvious that I was going to be a tomboy. right? Right. So like I was out of my nan's grandchildren. I was the first. Um, granddaughter, but before that, I had um, two older cousins and my older brother, yeah. so I was with them the whole time. So, obviously, a lot to do with like how men are. I, I got that from them, and then obviously, I was very close to my nan, so then I got how to be a woman. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. it was like how to be a man, how to be a woman, there was no how to be a girl. Yeah. So, um, with that, and obviously, as you know, I think boys are a lot more confident of himself and in, in, in certain aspects from a young age as in like they are more bullish yeah. and they say what they like they think is like, about well my my lot were anyway yeah. and then my <laughs> my nan being a jamaican woman it was very much like this is who we are this is what we do so i had that so as a child growing up i was i was always wearing my brother's he-man pajamas but playing with a pocahontist doll yeah so yeah, i was, yeah. I was girl, you know and that's all i knew and i just i just carried it on um throughout my whole whole life and um it's just how to be tough but how to be soft at the same time
0: yeah yeah it's just so interesting I guess it's just you're such you are like such a product I guess of like what you grow up in and I guess until you think about it you almost just you just accept it for who you are like yeah you know what I mean yeah, of
1: my, yeah 100% a product of my surroundings and like I was very blessed that um you know my my mum so she had a boy first then she had me and then she had two girls afterwards and it wasn't to the last girl um who was the girly girl right. um but like my mum was very much like okay cool you can wear that pink hoodie with the gap jeans as well boy jeans yeah, yeah. so it was always shopping in the girls and boy a boy section like it was just cool and like you know I played football and stuff I would like luckily i did have that and the boys around me who were like no you can be that I don't think you have to change to be like them i'd like i said it was always that doubt in my head like maybe I should change maybe I should be like this, maybe I should be like that. and now here I am in 2020 now it's the look that people want right yeah. like now, now girls want to be like dressed in the boyfriend's hoodies and like the tats and stuff like that so it's just funny and I was like I've been doing this since the day.
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love it it's so true because it was um I'm trying to think of the artist that it was like she made it like kind of cool it was like the R&B uh, yeah it was I was gonna say it but I was getting mixed up with her and a shanty but yeah Aaliyah, Aaliyah was Aaliyah. like she made it cool and then like you said it's like 2020 it's like done a mad like I guess it's like fashion it has like cycles and stuff but yeah it's like proper in fashion isn't it the kind of like because she was in like the, the lot the cargo like baggy cargo pants and right, all that exactly. it was like Tommy
1: Hilfiger yeah, Hill figure. yeah. <laughs> It's funny it. when if, if we like carry on from that. It's funny because a lot of people will come to me and go like, "Oh, like I want a, like a body like you to shape about like you." And like before growing up, I was like not even bothered about that. And I was mm-hmm. like, "Hey," and they go, "How'd you get it?" And I go, "Honestly, it's years of training. Like yeah. the muscle density is different. Like if you see like obviously Sarah Davies, like who you've just spoken to, the muscle density we have is completely different from people who've started training." same age as me but started five years ago three years ago Yeah, because we started so young and that's what a lot of people don't don't realize Mm.
0: yeah it's um actually it's another thing me and kaya spoke about about like body image and how like the female perception of like what beauty is has like really changed since like kind of she introduced herself to the fitness industry and how it used to be like beauty was like really skinny and now like a lot of like strong women it's like Promoted more, it's celebrated more, and it's like a great thing for it. Like that, we're a little bit more, although we we're a bit maybe more judgmental because of social media. Like actually, a bit when it comes to like the conversation of like the female body is like that. You know, beauty comes in all these different shapes and sizes, like you said, and it's yeah, it's just a much better place to be in that sort of environment for sure.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent, and you can respect what people do and see it through their physique now. Um like, yeah, definitely. I, like, like Kaya, even so, I think Kaya started later than me. I started working in the fitness industry seven years ago, and I can remember one of my first places where I worked in was Virgin Active. Okay, and I can remember, like, you know, you signed people up, and a woman was like to me, Yeah, I want you train me, but I don't want to look like you, bruh. Like, busy. <laughs> I went to it, you know what, love, it's cool, you know, because you ain't got no work effort. <laughs> i just down. I thought you want to come to me like that cool and now it's mad because i get people like i haven't trained my full potential properly for the last like eight months because i've had two injuries back to back so not like my normal training and i've had definitely suffered with like some body dysmorphia in this time i'm thinking i don't even look like i train no more that's how i fit like because wow. i don't feel like it and I think I don't even look like a train anymore. Like, what the hell? You know, and I prided myself on the way I look. But actually, every time I say that, it's really weird. Like a, a random person will come up to me like, oh, I guess you do some kind of sport. What do you do? And I'm like, oh <laughs> <the> show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true though, like, well, but that's just like it is mad to me because you like I see all of your Instagram stuff and it's like, bro, you're like strong. You're training quite consistently. I mean, we'll get into the injuries because I found that the injury mindset for me is like so interesting it's something that it's different for a lot of people but it's like largely like quite similar in terms of like the emotional range you go through right Right. like me and you could get like a completely different injury and it's like you've got to accept that it's happened go through the rehab which is like 95% of the time really fucking boring and like not fun to (laughs) do yeah I just found it interesting I can't wait to talk to you about it, but um, (laughs) national youth here. What what do you think is like one big lesson that you took from your time there?
1: That I think you know, growing up, growing up was highlighted to me anyway about like in this country, in this world, about a race divide Mm. and um, a class divide, and I think going there just proved it even more. And then I think from that moment is when I really, really understood that. I'm going to have to work 10 times harder as a as a woman, as a black woman, to be seen, to be heard and to do what I want to do in life. Mm. And um, I think that's what prepared me for that because although like like Kaya probably said, because Kaya, you know, she's very like me. You know, we've got the same energy. We've got the same like hype. We've got the same kind of mindset. And like, we weren't even the same group. I don't, she probably didn't tell you this story, but we weren't even the same group. We met outside like um, when they were like, Uh, making us go to our different groups and we just got on that moment and that's how strong our auras were compared to the others but like that's the first time where I've been accepted into something Mm. and like was proud of it and then also walked away from something feeling disappointed Uh you know so as in disappointed because I knew after all that they were they were still looking for one face one voice one type like they wanted you to be in a certain way Um, So after that, I didn't do a lot more work with them. Like um, I've I've gone to done excellent stuff, but not necessarily with them. Like I said, I did my training and everything with them. But it was was definitely a moment in life when I knew I have to have a strong mental game to get through to whatever I I want to do in life because people will want to stop me just because of the way I look.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so Kaya... What she said was that you've got a way better memory. Which, yeah. <laughs> she was like, "Trust me, I you'll do. probably hear more from Wiley." She probably she remembers the whole like time better than I do. But, um... Literally, yeah. <laughs> but um, you then go to London South Bank to study per- dance and performance. Yeah. Um, firstly, how did you find London?
1: Yeah, so I'm am still in London. I, I yeah. left and then um, that's it. and never returned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i never returned back home but london for me so yeah i moved when i was 18 um yeah 18 just turned 19 and and that's because like you know there was a lot of madness going on in my life um back home in Bath mm-hmm. um you know even though I, I was doing a lot of positive i was doing a lot of negative mm-hmm. as well yeah. and i knew for me to, to really dive in and find out who i am in life and what I'm, I'm capable of doing i had to move from bath like bath was suppressing me as a person <clears throat> so i applied for uni on the last day you could apply you cast form yeah. i was on that same day i was like on a sh- did a show like you know when nothing simple with me listen would like, for your phone nothing simple with me right <laughs> And you know, it, it was. It, I actually got into like a couple of drama, few drama schools as well. Um, but actually, a lot of them were just offering me like the one-year places. Again, I think you know. Now looking back, I was like, oh, maybe that's what I deserve. But actually, it was. Oh, uh, they probably filled up the three-year, two-year ones with too many black faces, so let's go for the one. The one year. Right. So like, I was like, okay, let's go, let's go uni um, in London. And yeah, London. That this was like the making of me. It was where I could find myself and embrace who I am. Um, like I said, Bath, you know, it's hard to embrace being a black person. And then suddenly, I've gone from people black. I have black friends in Bath suppressing that mm. to people in London openly being you know, able to be who they are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I love London, man. I love it. Um, I go away a lot so that I think that helps Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think London's gonna be for a forever place but you know yeah London definitely has something about it like you know it's almost like you're Peter Pan in London
0: yeah 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 but um you've spoken about going into the fitness industry how was your like early experience in tra- like transitioning from retail into the fitness industry for you?
1: Um, so like we, like I said, I've always done fitness. It's like never something I just like, you know, stumbled on and found and changed my life. Like that, it was, it was always been in my life. Yeah. Um, so when I was doing like auditions and shows, so when I was at uni, I was also at drama school. I was at identity drama school. Um, and then yeah, in and out shows. And, um, so I do a lot of, sp- I, well, I did a lot of spoken word as well. So I was touring with that. Um, and then it was just like, I was working retail, and then ugh, my manager was just a complete, oh, this is the last place I was in, and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And she was just talking to me as if, like, I wasn't doing anything in life, like I was not going anywhere. And I say to a lot of youngers it, um, who I talk to, and I say to them, like they say about their job and what they're doing now, and I say to them, listen, yeah, that is a dead job, but you've got to make the most of it. you got to pride, like, pride yourself when you're in that job. Like I was talking to a boy the other day, and um, he works in the stock room, and I used to work in the stock room, right? Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, you know, it's this." And I go, "Listen, I used to work in that stock room, own that stock room, and just you know, make it everything, make it the most, because that's going to carry on to the rest of your life." Yeah. So I knew I did a good job with what I was doing, right? And then this manager was on my back, just being negative, and I just turned around. and I went, Do "You know what? Shut the fucking shop yourself." <laughs> I thought, this is the last time someone's talking to me like this. And that was it. And she was shot. And I thought, she was shot. Because obviously, she's always been used to bullying people. And I was like, not today. Like, this is it. And she was like, coming, coming, where are you going? Mm -hmm. Chasing me down Westfield in Sheffield. (laughs) up here, here. coming. And I was like, nah, nah, shut the shop. This is a joke, right? And I was like, nah. (laughs) So I went and got my stuff. And then I literally sat on the tube. And I was like, shit got no job yeah you know? <laughs> yeah and then like next day she was calling me coming back and I think I was like no and I think I really should come back because i got no money in that but I was like <laughs> it will work and I would love to say it was that moment then that I was like okay um that I decided to like become yeah. a personal trainer but it wasn't it was until a few months later like I was sat at home very like a lot of things just happened in the year before that you know I went I, I lost a few people close to me mm. And I think me walking out and then and suddenly sitting down for a minute, I was like, it, it came to me, right? That's when I started kind of like grieving. I would say, and I was like, oh shit, mm. this is what it all feels like. And then um, you know, I was just going to drama school, Berlin, and I was training. But apart from that, I was like doing nothing. And then I was just like, what do I really love doing apart from like the performing? And it, it was fitness, and I was like, okay, it's no brainer, um, kind of thing. And then at that time, it was mad that it was the Commonwealth Games. Oh, okay. Um, I- Story. So it was the Commonwealth Games. Zoe Smith and mikaela Breeze battling it out for medals. And I remember just being like blown yeah. away, thinking, you know. So back then I was like, I was obviously training like um, sprinting and like just gym training. I was blown away by these women like lifting weights, and they're two complete different women. I have seen Breeze came out of retirement for it, and then. um Zoe Smith like a young black athlete and I was like man this is this is amazing I'm gonna do that anyway so it came on to be a personal trainer and it wasn't years later until years later that I did actually start Olympic lifting but um yeah that's when it was turning I just just went in it just went into it did the course and was like again like what I'm used to doing is just, it's just this has got to work yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> can you remember the transition when you went from in terms of in your head you were like yeah I'm enjoying doing the fitness instructing thing that's great and then, do you remember, like, I guess, discovering maybe, for a lack of better word, like Olympic training slash powerlifting, and was it something like a bit like a love at first sight kind of thing in terms of being like, yeah, 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 yeah now that I'm doing this, this is, I feel like good to go now.
1: Yeah. So when I think when I started um, personal training, like you know, there wasn't as many women and stuff like that. And I knew I had to hold my ground. So I just did what I knew. So I did a lot of like sprint drills and strength drills with my clients and stuff like that. And just like built that. And I knew if the best thing for me to do is just make that category stronger Mm. than pretending I do anything else like weight loss and stuff like that. So when I first got it from the doors of the gyms, I was just training with the boys who had been around there for a long time and they taught me a lot of stuff. And I was just training with them, learning, just so I could progress myself. And I'm a great believer in life. If you want to get anywhere in life, you got you need mentors. Mm. So in in life, I've had definitely different mentors and different aspects of my life what have helped me come here today. And I always thank them, but like and then the goal is to outdo your mentor. Yeah. Right. A good mentor will want you to outdo them. Yeah. So like, that's how I was. And then one day I was in, in the gym and there was this girl and I asked her, what did she do? And she said she was powerlifting. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay, cool. <laughs> Told me the numbers and she lifted and stuff. I was like, I'm going to do that. Literally next week got a powerlifting coach. I started and that was it. I never looked back. And that was about five years ago. Wow. And I just, I just learned it, engrossed it and just ran with it. So yeah, powerlifting is where I started um so and then it was olympic lifting next one i've only been competing in olympic lifting so i've been doing olympic lifting about two and a half years yeah, probably yeah, yeah. so i'm actually still still pretty new but um but like you've probably seen like i call myself a hybrid athlete yeah. i can um i can do quite quite a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so,
0: i looked up your stats and i i found it i don't know how i've stumbled across it but like i don't even know how much the competing record was in there But I just, you know, it was all numbers. I made sense of it. But the one thing Mm. that, like, really stood out to me is that you've competed at, like, quite a few different weight classes. Mm. And I was wondering, because now, like, you know, this is just me saying it, like, you know, you're you're in, like, amazing shape. And I can't remember what category you're lifting at now. I don't know if it was, like, was it, like, the eighty four? kg category yeah for
1: for powerlifting at 84 and then for Olympic lifting I'm currently
0: under 81s right and then I looked and I was like what she was competing in like 90 kg like range I was like how so so, (laughs) which is mad in my opinion like to put on slash lose that much weight is like it's like Mm. one of the biggest things I respect about boxers and combat athletes like the weight (laughs) control but yeah how was that like learning to kind of put on that much weight slash lose that much weight and do you feel like right now this is like the weight that you're kind of like i'm good with this is kind of where i feel comfortable competing at like going forward Mm.
1: it's funny i was talking about this today with my nutritionist so um so when i've always been like growing up always fit lean and then i was always probably around 76 kilos Mm. to about 79 max 80 kind of kilos and that was where I was probably my fastest, strongest um, all rounder. And then I went to powerlifting. And then I, when I first went to powerlifting, I dropped a lot out of my, a lot of my sprinting drills out and stuff like that. Yeah. So I excelled in powerlifting pretty quick. I've competed in a number of federations just because at first it was just getting the doors, get experience, get platform experience and stuff like that. You know how it is. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, before you knew it, I was up to 99 kilos. Would I do it again? No, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> when I, I it, it was it felt unnatural for me like mm. to be be that heavy like you have to eat a lot a day. Um, I did it because it was like I was getting stronger. Do you know what I mean? It'd be different if I was getting bigger and not getting stronger. I was getting bigger and stronger. At mm. uh, that body weight, the max I squatted was two hundred and six kilos. Yeah. Bench a hundred. <laughs> bench a hundred. Deadlifted um, like. 203 or something like that so obviously like you know it had a it it was amazing but I just did not feel like myself like you know I just felt heavy and sluggish and then I remember doing a comp it was like in the summer and I just smashed a 206 kilo squat and I walked up the platform and I was like I'm dropping weight
0: yeah I'm not
1: doing this I wouldn't even think about what I just achieved I was like I'm dropping weight this is not cool and then I yeah I decided to slowly take my weight down and then uh I had my gallbladder removed as well so I freaked I believe me going up that weight and yeah. eating what I was eating to get up there had a massive impact on my gallbladder. Yeah. So, you know, it's not the most healthiest thing to be doing, if, especially if you're an athlete who's not meant to be up there for body weight. Yeah. Like yeah. Not, you know, I wasn't meant to be up there and I wasn't up there for long. And then, yeah, I just slowly calmed down. Um, and then when it comes to terms of like now, like now I hold about 80, 80 kilos, mm. um, 81. After I broke my hand, my wrist, my body weight did go up a bit because I wasn't moving as much. And then when lockdown happened, I was like, okay, cool, let's get back down and comp weight because there's no need for me to be up here. Mm. So me and my nutritionist have been concentrating to come into comp weight. And yeah, now I always want to lose an extra few kilos. The reason why is because I've been that body weight Mm. and I'm faster, more explosive um, at that body weight. Um, so it's just going to benefit me more uh, of a lifter it's not about looks it's about what's going to benefit me moving around the bar Um, and me being leaner but strong with mass is going to be explosive I've got no problem with strength I've got strength all day so as an Olympic lifter it's just like how can I be more explosive and leaner and obviously more technical Mm. so yeah we're just working on towards coming down a few more kilos to, to get that
0: I think it's so interesting it's because we've already spoken about like the very like typical woman once again this is I don't know why I'm getting my getting myself into this sentence but I will but um, in general terms a lot of people think of their weight and I guess you relate it straight to just image and how you want to look and like dress size and in terms of like because that's like the perception that it's like oh I need to be down at this dress size or I need to look good yeah. for whatever, right? Like beach bodies, summer body, all these kind of things. You've obviously had to approach your body and weight for like a completely different and like unique way because you're thinking of it in terms of the movement and everything. Do you feel like that's like changed your relationship with your body in terms of like that being the primary focus of like how you perceive like weight and all these different things?
1: Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, like I don't... Like I say, I say to a lot of people, like if I didn't compete, I wouldn't be weighing myself, I wouldn't care, you know, mm-hmm. eat I wouldn't feel guilty when I eat certain things like that because I want to compete a certain way. That's the only reason why I, I check my weight. Mm. But I do get clients who, who fixate on a number. And I go to like obviously like I say I fixate a number because what I want to compete at. Yeah. And I know I'm faster that way. I know I'm stronger that way. Just all run better athlete. When I have clients come to me and they fixate on a weight and I go and on a number and I go, why? Oh, because that's a number that like you know most people and i go are you most people no but like i just know that i went yeah but you could get to that weight right and feel rubbish yeah or you could be the exact same weight on the scales now but lean out with muscle and look better mm. and feel better so it's just on getting people to understand that it's not what's on the scales about how you look how you feel how the clothes are on you And that's what I do. And I always say do not get obsessed with the number on the scales because that's just unhealthy. And like I said, you are right by saying what you're saying because even when you watch like weightless programs or, um, you know, like special K adverts and stuff like that, they have like a little scale on there. And, you know, all these little teas, it's about how much you're losing. Why don't we have like a healthier approach and go, let's get rid of the scales and think about, How how are you feeling? How are you moving? Has your waist gone down? Has your legs gone? uh, Whatever whatever you want it to be, and then get people to understand what people don't know—the science behind a lot of things as well. Like muscles heavier than fat, right? So like the scales aren't necessarily going to be going down.
0: You've alluded to it already, but July sixteenth, twenty sixteen, no dumbbells. The event, two hundred and six kg, squat. What? I know that you've said now that like the aftermath is I really want to get down that weight, But at the time it was a British record, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So how was it first of all, to just like maybe look at that, look at the barbell and be like, this is probably a way, this is a way that I may never lift again. And mm. just what's the mentality approaching the bar doing it. And then that immediate, I guess, rush. Cause it's for me anyway, anytime I've hit like PBs, like just the blood's rushing to my head I get all lightheaded. I'm like, oh, fuck, I need to sit down. Like, (laughs) um, what, yeah, what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, it it was, it was amazing. You know, I pushed myself to get there and stuff uh, and stuff. It's funny because, like, at the time, I'm terrible for having tick box, not done it, move on, right? Now I'm learning, especially lockdown has really taught me this to learn and embrace the moment a lot more. Mm. So um, that's what I want to do now. I wish I embraced it um A lot more at a time of what how hard I did work to get there yeah. um but yeah two two oh six walking up to the bar, any lift you have to be ready for it, you have to be mentally ready you can't be hesitant um and that's something like I do battle with, so if you see me in comps again it's something i'm working on get, Wiley can have a comp where she, she looks like nothing can stop her and wiley can have a comp when you're just like she just Got, got it with skin of her teeth, you know, mm. um, and it's also and that, that's because of the mental game. There's something going on with inside you mentally, mm. um, and like I said, I'm that's something I'm working on a lot at the moment. <clears throat> so when it comes to these bigger comps, that's not going to stop me.
0: Yeah,
1: but yeah, like you know that body weight I lifted out that was amazing. Um, I have said, before, but i got into great shape before I broke my hand on my wrist yeah. with all all lifts. Um, so I was about I was holding at eighty kg, back squatting one seventy benching. 85, deadlifting, 195, snatching, 85, hang, snatch, 90, cleaning, 110, jerking, 120, cleaning, jerk together, probably at, I was at 16. I got into a, and I was able to pull up chin ups and stuff like that because we had done it where my training was so fine tuned, mm-hmm. like so fine tuned. And it, I, people listen to this, like, you know, it sounds like, oh yeah, amazing get his numbers, but it's not an overnight game. It took a solid, two years to get there and it's the best shape i've ever been in best way of lifting you know and it's not about getting strong it's about working on your technique mm-hmm. every day it was working yeah. empty bar like boom 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 empty bar empty bar empty bar, empty bar. and then what a lot of people so i give programs to my clients here yeah, and they'd be like mobility work stretch activation and i asked have you done that oh no it's boring I'm like, watch do watch listen to podcasts People don't realize it's those little things that make you strong. Yeah, Lifts, yeah, cool. But it's the little things that make you strong. All the activation work, that's what makes you strong. So for the two years, I concentrated on on working on that. And that's what got me to where I was just before I broke my hand and wrist. And and it's just because, you know, you can't miss out nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because, yeah, like I said, it's a really interesting thing in my mind. The mental battle that that comes with with an injury. So, is it like o- late October, early November for that injury in 20- yeah, twenty back yeah. <laughs> into last year? One, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, broken wrist, broken hand. How does the injury happen, and how aware are you at the time? Oh fuck, something's really wrong here. So,
1: <laughs> so I just did. um I did a qualifying comp. This is for limpet lifting. And then I did the Welsh Championships, got gold. Three weeks later, I was getting ready for the English championships. Yeah. <laughs> and then in that time I must have got ill, like had a mild version of the flu. Yeah. I stepped back for a couple of days, but went back in. I was like, I need to just keep moving. I was I so I I would normally train in a gym like off peak times. And this day I trained on a peak time. And then um, because I wanted to have a nap before I went. Yeah. You know, more energy. And I was doing heavy cleans and jerks. And then this cleaner went to walk in front of me. Weren't sure she's she was going to walk or not. And she did. Mm. And obviously I hesitated. Um My, I, I got, so my hand got caught. Obviously you would use hook grip. Got yeah. caught. Knee come down. My chest fell down. Boom. Hand and wrist. I knew it was something wrong, but I didn't think it was that extent. Yeah, I got dressed. Went, went to, went home. Iced it. Next day, iced it. Um was talking to my osteopath and they were like, you know, stay off it, but like, you know, we don't know. Wasn't we really that bad. Then did my last session, it was like dropping the weight out of my hand, and I was like, cool. On the Sunday I had the English Championships. So obviously I rocked up the English championship and happened to me on a day, it was the worst. It was swollen the worst. But I knew I was ready for that comp. Like I was ready, so ready for this comp. So what we did, I had someone help me out back. Like I knew I only had a couple of lifts in me because it wasn't going to hold it. Yeah, Just played the mind game. And that's what we did. We played the mind game that day. And I was just pretending everything was fine. Be confident with the movement. You know, so the other girls are thinking, oh, Wiley's on top form today. Yeah. They've seen all your videos run up. Little did they know there's something wrong with my hand. I knew something wrong. Went out there, got my opening snatch. Uh, so we put, obviously, in Olympic lifting, you can play a little game. So everyone thought I was opening on 75. I didn't. They went, did theirs. I just went above them, did 80. Uh... Got one snatch in, done, you know? Like, didn't get no more in. Clean and jerk. First clean drops out of my hand because my hand couldn't take it. I literally had, like, three warm-ups on the clean and jerk before. Mm-hmm. I literally, big jumps, big jumps, because I was like, I just need to save it. Got the second one, and I'm in silver. Another girl comes, and then um, I go to go a little bit more than her. Got the clean, but couldn't jerk it because my hand just buckled out. Yeah. That would have got gold. So I got got the silver, and I was, oh, like, man. buzzing about that. And then I went and got it, saw it, checked out, and then, like, a few days later, and it was um, broken hand and wrist. And, yeah, I was good because, like I said, they would, I worked so hard. And then, literally, three weeks later, I was meant to go compete out in Barbados. And then I didn't. So I went out on holiday and it was the first time ever like I had to stop. I got stopped, you know, an injury is mainly stopped. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay. So I thought, all right, do you know what? Enjoy this time. So I just enjoyed that time. I went on holiday. I went away for like six weeks, traveling around and stuff. I like came back and I was like, cool, ready to get back into training. Got back into training. Two weeks in, boom, got a trap nerve from my lower back to the bottom of my foot and it couldn't be released at first and you know we've all f- we figured out why it happened now it's just like because my placing of my foot and that's what we've got the trapped nerves. it's actually not from my spine and then so this happened just before lockdown and I did a comp just before so in between breaking my hammer wrist I managed to get a powerlifting comp in, qualify and then just before lockdown this, this happened honestly I couldn't believe it this is injury has been bigger than my hammer wrist This has been the most mental challenging i had an mri today a private one because all that got cancelled because of covid we're finding that now but yeah it's been the hardest mentally and i think that's because i've it's made me stop it's made me reflect and everything we've talked about in this in this chat for the last hour i've never stopped and think about anything before i've never stopped let's i've never i've never grieved for my traumas i've never you know even thought about why i went through what i went through and until now and you know, also you spoke to Kai yesterday. Kai is very spiritual as well. Yeah. And I had to accept, and I was like, the universe has made me do this, like the you unit. Know, because otherwise, if listen, if I had no injury and lockdown come, I would be loving it. Like, yeah, you know,
0: yeah,
1: I have been, yeah. like, <laughs> <like>, uh, <laughs> been fine. But I obviously we've seen in training, but I haven't been training. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. We're near the same way. Like training was like my meditation, and the suddenly stopped for this long, mm. like you know, two minutes back to back this long. And it honestly, is it's brought me to crop tears. I've learned how to grieve in this time. I've learned how to um, acknowledge my own feelings. So yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it, it's, it's been hard mentally. And like, there was a time where I'm very visual. Like I, I believe in a lot of visualization. Like, you know, if you want to achieve something, you need to visualize that. Just visualize it down to the T, like what's what your shoes are on and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was always doing that. And then it got to a time when the last few months I couldn't even visualize, it was gone, it was black, just black. But I knew I was still going to achieve what I'm going to achieve because I had it in my heart. And, and then literally last week, an image came back and I was like, okay, I'm coming back. But that mentality, like we we're saying, it treats different people differently. But I do believe like I had to go for it to, to shred layers of me to go into the next step of my life. Um, especially when you're trying to achieve the impossible as some may say you need to make sure you have looked at all corners of your life and inside out to to get there
0: Yeah, yeah that's um that's incredibly powerful in terms of to have that realization your answer was really similar in terms of with kaya's like how she's perceived like lockdown and in terms of like reflection being like the biggest thing almost as a sticking point and mm. it's something I like wholeheartedly agree with and it's something that has definitely been like a big thing for me in terms of it's really forced you to like address everything in your life in terms of maybe you can kind of ignore like the odd thing and be like yeah no I don't really need to worry about that now like you said if you live like I quite instinctively live my life quick in terms yeah. of Like fast paced. I have quite a naturally anxious mind, so I'm naturally like a bit like that. So, yeah. So for me, it's easy to go like, oh, I don't need to think about that. That's cool. And then once you start slowing down, you got no choice. I'm. It's like, oh, yeah. I better start Mm. working all this shit out. So that's super interesting. Like really, really, really powerful as well. How has that? How has that been, then? Because do you feel like there's almost like a pre-lockdown Wiley? And like an evolved like as we transition out of like lockdown widely.
1: Yeah, so I think I started to go through this before lockdown, right? When it first happened with my hand and my yes. wrist in October, and November. And then when lockdown came, I was like, okay, I need to surrender. Mm-hmm. I need to surrender to the universe. And for me to not have control over everything, like that was hard. So I was like, okay, what what can I do in this time? And I knew I had a feeling it was gonna go on for as long as it did. and so i knew i had to work from the inside out so um that was you know with my food when i'm when i'm on diet i'm full plant-based when i'm off diet i'm veggie um so i went to my nutritionist let's let's go let's just do it i got all my rehab work from my physio um and like because i could walk Honestly, I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk, sit down, lie down. We wouldn't even realise like how, how bad it's been because I suppose it's still quite raw to talk about because I'm just, I'm not yeah, over it right. you know? I've, yeah. I've come out the worst of it. And then I started learning meditation and then just learning things again and reconnecting with other passions I had. Mm. So that's when I started, obviously, Black Lives Matter come about and then that's when I started reconnecting with the talks yeah. and talking about, you know, different experiences and then bringing out educational videos but for like a spoken word poetry form so the the wiley's coming out of lockdown i obviously she was in lockdown before lockdown yeah yeah it's uh yeah i feel like i now know myself fully like fully 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 and i'm i appreciate it it's been painful but i appreciate the time i've had so I can go and uh, succeed in the next part of my life
0: yeah yeah so interesting for the world to be going through one journey and it like runs parallel to your own it's just it's very (laughs) surreal to hear like I can see how you can you can have a higher belief in like the universe because it's like when you lay it out that way it's just like very clear that some stuff you do have to let kind of just go and just let things happen and yeah. You can
1: only fight for so long. You know what I mean? You can only fight for so long. And I've been fighting all my life. Like, like A lot of people ignoring a lot of things and for it to come up. So when I like saying that, when my body broke down twice, I've never had injuries before, right? Yeah. And suddenly I have two big ones. I was like, that's when I knew. I actually spoke to Kai. I went, Kai, I think this is coming from inside. Yeah. I, I think it's coming from inside of me and it's projecting my body because I do everything right. Yeah, I do, yeah. I have two coaches, a strength coach, Olympic lifting coach, calisthenics coach, mobility, physio, osteopath, I do everything. But I'm, what am I doing from inside? Mm. Yeah. So yeah. that's when I start meditation, counselling stuff like that. And then now I feel like I'm coming out on the other side.
0: That's just so amazing. It is. And it means that I get to find this. Yeah, I get to be at like, the not the end, but I get to be like later in that process talking to you. And yeah. it's incredibly powerful to hear now. But, um, yeah, you spoke about the Black Lives Matter movement. My own experience, I guess, to be transparent has been like, it's been like one of the most educational, informative, insightful past, like couple months that I've maybe experienced ever in terms of just learning about, yeah, maybe my own behaviours in some way, but just learning about the black experience more so and being able to empathise even though I can't live through it. So we get to May 25th and it's that there's one incident with Amy Cooper calling the police on Christian Cooper, the bird watcher, because he asked her, could you please put a leash on your dog in where it should be? And then the second, obviously being, I guess the more publicized in terms of globally, um, I've kind of described it as the earthquake that shook the world in terms of the George Floyd murder from the, police officer Derek Chauvin kind of think it's important to say his name because he doesn't mm-hmm. deserve the anonymity anonymity even I appreciate firstly that you don't speak for all black women, women I appreciate you don't speak for all black people and that this is Chloe Wiley's response to what happened yeah. um, I think it's important to say that because as soon as you ask someone that you don't want the listeners to believe like oh this is how everyone feels and I also don't want you right. to, feel, to have that pressure of like I represent everyone because that's not the case whatsoever but what was your initial response and what feelings did that bring up especially in a time like you said where there's a heightened sensitivity there in terms of because of the injury you're in this state of reflection prior to this even happening and then you have to deal with the trauma of the visual and just the experience of your own growing up and everything so what was your initial experience and kind of what was the emotive response that you saw from the George Floyd incident in particular?
1: So when, it, when obviously George Floyd happened, like for me, you know, mm. I was just like, again, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, you know, that was, that was it at first. And then there's everyone else responding around me. And I was like, Oh, everyone's waking up and seeing this. Okay. And I was just getting more and more and more response. But I couldn't help but think, hang on a minute, this has been happening all my life, right? And now you want to listen because you're sat down. And what is this, the new train? Uh, usually you follow my posts I go to anyone. If you've posted anything to do with Black Lives Matter and, and, a, and a, a Black Square and you're not willing to actually follow up on stuff like that, remove your post, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is because this is, this is not another fad workout. This is not another trend of banana bread. This is, this is our life. Right? And this is something, like I said, this is the reason why I moved out of Bath. Um, this is why I felt how I felt growing up. You know, my, my nams from the Windrush generation. This is something I've lived. And then when we, you know, when people go, oh, stop going about slavery and stuff like that. When we see a, a, a black man die, we're seeing our brother, we're seeing our uncle, we're seeing a face that looks like us, you know. It was, it was everyone else's reaction. And obviously it was very split. One thing I do, I respect everyone's opinion, even if I don't agree with their opinions, right? And what I've been doing at the moment is talking from my experience. So obviously I called out the fitness industry. I called out Gym Box. And the reason being was they've supported a lot over the time when it comes to, you know, pride, mental health, and all these, these things. And I'm listening, I'm with it. I'm with it. And I think it's amazing. But the moment you start doing that, you have to support all. Mm. especially when you're a, a gym as diverse as gym box you have to be willing to stand with everyone and that's why I call gym box out because I thought no actually you know what I'm ready for this yeah I'm mentally ready I'm not talking from a place of emotion or anger I'm talking from a place where you need to learn right mm. so and obviously from that I've just had massive response but what people need to remember is, this is nothing different from what I've been doing before. The only difference I've done now is putting it on my public page yeah. where before I wouldn't. And for me, it feels a lot better to be doing that because before I was just showing why he can lift, but now I'm showing why he can lift. If that makes sense. I'm yeah. showing every aspect of me. So now, hence why people do know I was in the arts, do know I worked for this and done that. Um, and I just want to educate people on my view and how I feel like we can move forward. And I'm very, very, um, Keen on how we can move forward and how we can all work together to make everyone feel comfortable in a workplace in everything they do. So, and you know, that stereotypes are getting washed out, and we're being seen for people um, and our actions instead of you know stereotypes, like I'm saying. But you know, also people need to be aware that you know George Floyd. Um, it's one of many. We need to stop fixating on America and understand what's happening here at home. The media showed George Floyd die over and over again for a reason, right? They control what we see. There's a reason why they did that. I think they thought it was going to get a different response, but actually, you know, as humans, we've come together more and started understanding and learning from one another. Also, you know, we can't just learn from documentaries and books, we need to talk to each other. We need to express to each other. We need to communicate. We need to uplift one another um, and just start being a bit more diverse and open. Um, so that's what I've been working a lot at the moment and still working on. And then by doing that, it opened doors for me to go back home to Bath. I was asked to talk at the Black Lives Matter protest there. And to have something like that in Bath, huge, huge. Yeah. Just, you know what I mean? Like, just, something like that doesn't happen there. And I got asked to talk there. And now I've, I've done like, you know, I've worked with Channel Four. I've got another documentary coming out. I'm setting up a group in Bath called Young Black Bath. I'm um, support getting my own theatre company opening there. Um, I'm working with Bevel House. So loads of stuff has come from this. Oh, so okay. you know, and um, and it's just giving me that drive where I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm thinking about others around me, and um, I'm just I'm just so blessed. Like people like you have like supported and listened and. And that's what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on the people who are ready for the movement, uh, who are ready to listen, who are la- ready to learn from one another, you know? And when I say the black community now, I mean the white people, Asian people, all people around us who want to move forward together. Because what I want is equality. It's not just about Black Lives Matter. It's all about us respecting one another and, and start getting rid of these barriers and walls we have.
0: Yeah, if, um... yeah it's, um seeing everything has just been amazing like yeah i found you in this time which is obviously strange right in terms of yeah i might have seen you but because i'm not i'm not a big like follow all the fitness influencers kind of people so and i know that's not you but i'm just saying in terms of i may have like not stuck with your profile and what you were doing if it weren't this time right so it's massive and i just think the one thing that's really come up in my mind and you your answer maybe has spoke to it more, but I do still want to ask you it anyway, is that how have you balanced your own emotional process with what you saw? Because for me anyway, it's like the twenty twenty version of like Emmett Till in the lynching mm-hmm. story, right? That's basically what we saw. Um yes. it was like a modern day lynching. So that's tough for me to see. Not alone as you said, like you see George Floyd and you see a family member, you see like someone that is like a face that it looks like you and there's just a Mm. different connection there that I won't ever get to 100% understand. But how is it dealing with your own emotional process with seeing that alongside people? I can imagine loads of people like me and loads of people like white people, Asian people have approached you and looked for you as like education or they've looked to you to just, like I guess seek out what your experience is and how you're doing it's like unfortunately that's one thing I think maybe we're we've struggled with as white people through this time in terms of we want to we want to like ask and be educated maybe more so than actually just being proactive and looking for platforms that are kind mm. of in that stage so I guess my question is how do you separate those two in terms of people seeking you for information and education whilst just processing everything that's happening in Wiley's life is as the woman and as the person
1: yeah I feel like it's it's come to me an interesting time Mm. especially when I've been doing a lot of a healing process um on myself with like past traumas and stuff like that and it wasn't until this until this and then Channel 4 asked me to do part of their documentary on you know, your first racist experience that it's still embedded in me and like this has actually helped me reflect and heal heal myself and I don't want youngers to go through through the same thing. Um people asking it has been days when I've had to like just completely step back, you know, how can I serve if my if my cups are full. Um but when I the day I spoke out to June box, I knew I, I sat here on a corner of my sofa. It was like 9 p.m in the dark. And I thought, if I, when I, the moment I do this, this is it for life now. You know, from that moment on, I'm a culture activist and I can't drop this now. And I had to ask myself, am I ready for that on top of my own life, my own dreams and my own, own goals? And I was like thinking, what's my life if everyone else's life is, is not being uplifted as well and moving forward? I am very conscious of still educating and still showing my lifting and stuff like that. And for me, it's amazing that it's actually grown my platform. I know a lot of people's platform who's spoken at Black Lives Matter, it's dropped their followers and, and stuff like that. For me, in this pandemic, I think I've gone up like 3,000 followers. Wow. It's mad, right? And I think it's by staying at home and not even doing my big lifts. And that's for me is showing me that what I'm doing is right. As I saying it's not about the followers, but I mean, the way I'm delivering what I'm saying, mm is what people want to hear. Like I say, I pride myself in not speaking from emotion and anger, but just from my point of view and how we can move forward in a place where it's going to be positive, you know? And I do understand um, racist na- uh, people's opinions as well. Do you know what I mean? I understand it because you got to understand that's that's what they've been taught. That's uh, that's a reflection on themselves, their anger and stuff like that. So you can't preach to those people. And then that's what I'm trying to um, do is just educate, and set platforms and stepping stones for the next generation, the same way my ancestors did for me, so I can sit here and talk and have an easier life. It's about moving forward and moving forward together. But um, yeah, this is this is like I said, I've got lots of big things coming up, and I, I'm super excited um, on just how we can progress forward. And you know, Black Lives Matter. Everyone, everyone um, is starting to see that and see that now and understand the history of it you know we don't forget the history of the wars or the holocaust and stuff like that. the same way we shouldn't be forgetting slavery but also the same way you can't be looking at black people as thugs or slaves and i start looking at the emperors and empresses um and the millionaires and billionaire black people and the things they have achieved as well and stopped putting us in the negative light so yeah i'm i'm, I'm super keen to keep um pushing forward as well as my lifting
0: yeah it's um yeah I can only imagine like stepping into that space which I guess prior to stepping into it you've got you've got maybe an inclination of like how it might be received but like you said you got no idea really like in terms (laughs) of whether people are gonna hate it whether people are gonna like it whether people you're gonna attract more people because yeah it's not it isn't the specific follower count but I guess it's the the person that you attract then right like you you attract someone that actually supports what you're doing and what you really believe in because you're so aligned with that mission right so Mm. because you know you could be lifting and feeling a certain way and having a load of followers that are just like closet racist they just want to see someone lift and Right, And it's like, well, you know, you then question like, you know, you're not just a number then in terms of a follower. You're not just another follower. You're like a human being. I don't really want following me on social media anyway. So I guess exactly. it's, it's the give and take in it, I guess. But you spoke about doing the Channel 4 thing. I found that like wildly profound, firstly, and I thought you were fantastic on there. How did that opportunity come about? And also you spoke about the relationship you had with your dad. How challenging was that to just like know that this is going to be on Channel 4 and you revealed something that was maybe that speaks to the profound nature for me anyway. It took me back. I couldn't believe it. But of course, it gave me such a deeper, profound respect for you as a woman, as someone just sharing their voice. It like it did. It gave me an even deeper level of respect for you for being as open as you were about our relationship. And I think we should celebrate that like as people that people being honest about their experience. And it took courage. It took like, like amazing courage. So how did the Channel 4 thing come about and how challenging was it? Or how, how, what was the emotional process of you coming to the conclusion that you were going to talk about that story?
1: So um, people didn't watch it. It was um, Channel 4 were doing small episodes on George, reflecting George Floyd take the knee off of my, my neck mm-hmm. and um you think you still find it on their instagram page so i was put forward i think a few people put me forward to, to channel four and then link came and then um i spoke to the lady and she she just asked me about my first race experience and then i i and obviously everything else was going on it was just like you know there's me talking about it at home at, um, on IG live and then there's talking about to the public and I was yeah like it was probably one of the most hardest things I'd done to put mm-hmm. myself in a vulnerable position and talk about it. but at the same time sometimes you have to say something hard-hitting to be heard um, and that's my truth that's how I lived that's how I was brought up um, you know having a, a, a white father whose father was racist mm-hmm. um, you know that's that's stayed with me for my whole life, and and I'm healing from it and healed from it. But that's a reality of a lot of mixed race people. Like our own family members are racist, you know. Um, and I think that's how you got to show to people who haven't experienced racism that racism comes in all sorts. Of forms. It's not just like, you know, being called the N word. It's not just like discrimination. It goes so much deep rooted in that. It's about this system and the way our society sees one another. So, yeah, that's why I did it. I thought, you know, um, if I want people to listen to me, I have to learn to be vulnerable. And I've never been so vulnerable in my life. Like, I'm, I'm quite like walls up. But one thing I am learning in life is to be more vulnerable because that's how you're going to help more people. And, and so, that's it, really that's what it was just me just accepting to be vulnerable at that time and just tell my story.
0: Yeah. It's um, I mean, yeah. Talk about courage, right? Like your most vulnerable moment in life was on channel four. Like, is it <laughs> like, is there an element of like, that's very weird. Like to just know that.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, I knew why I was doing it and like, like the positive feedback I had from people who thanking me for sharing that. And then pe- like kids' parents, like thanking wow. me as well. Just saying like, you know, like kids seeing like a face like them talking out and, and and seeing what I'm doing now and how I'm achieving. That's why you do it, you know. Of course, they came with some hate and some racist slurs. But, you know, it's not about that. It's not about them. It's about like the ones who's going to benefit from it. And that if that means eight-year-old kids going to see me on TV, and then look at me on Instagram afterwards, you know, that gives them the hope, that gives them like, that's
0: a a game changer, you know? Yeah, 100%. It's a very big game changer. In my opinion, It, like, yeah, 100%. You started a series during the lockdown called Let Me Educate You, Mm. and it's along the theme of a spoken word. What has spoken word given you? And how have you found that that development in terms of, it now being a part of your Instagram store, like your Instagram kind of content, I guess. Um,
1: so, again, being locked down, I've been in retirement for a long time before I, I started. I've worked on some, you know, some some artists, like some names and stuff like that, and, you know, um, being on radio shows and stuff like that. And then I lost my confidence. A few years back, probably about five years back, and I just kind of left it there. Mm-hmm. And I've had some close friends to me like begging me to get back into it, so I was like, "Oh no, no, it's done now, it's done now." And then this made me find my voice again, and mm-hmm. I, I put it on there. It was a bit nerve wracking, but again, the response for it was was mad, and that's how I got to talk at the protest, and that's how obviously Channel Four found me and stuff like that. So. Um, it's just made people listen in another way instead of just always talking. And that's the way I express myself in the best way. Again, I think it's because the way I was taught in drama and stuff like that, how to do speeches and stuff like that. So for spoken word for me, that's the way I get a point across. Um, so yeah, obviously, yeah, let me educate you. It's still going on. We, we just record, I went to the studio last week, first time we in the studio for years. Mm. So we recorded a piece called Young Black Bath. We're doing a big video for that um so you know we've been pu- we're pushing that to be on, put on big platforms so it's gonna be exciting it's gonna be exciting um like i said it's i'm not a one-hit wonder as in i don't just do things for the now the moment i start speaking about black lives matter it, it's, it's going to keep going on it's going to keep going on as well as me doing the sports um so yeah spoken word just happens to be part of
0: Part of it now <laughs> yeah it's like pre pre-college dropout Kanye in it it's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> no I um I really urge I mean I urge everyone to take in all of your content but the the spoken word things you've done through let me educate you are like yeah I just can't say enough it's just gems on top of gems like thank you um another one other thing that you've been doing with the lockdown is having conversations with people on Instagram live that The reason I can kind of say it now is that they actually live on your profile, which is amazing. So anybody that's um, listened to this right now afterwards, check out Wiley's Insta stuff because there's amazing content on there. How have you found those conversations? Because you've been really open. You've been really transparent. These are people that you have a great level of respect for. So it allows you to maybe go cross, not even cross a line, but maybe just rub your foot on the line and kind of get into topics. And you're doing it with pe- like you're doing those conversations with people that you trust. How have you found those conversations since lockdown and everything that's followed from the black lives matter movement rise?
1: Yeah, they, they were needed. Like there's going to be more, mm. um, there's, we've got some more plans. Um, yeah. we just gave it a book before a minute, but they were needed because I feel like people would have listened to them who wouldn't have listened to us in other ways. Right. Yeah. And that's people who are up there in these corporate companies um, management things like that and this is the way for them to listen um who wouldn't of necessarily asked me to come in for a meeting. Yeah. Why wouldn't they ask me to come in for a meeting to talk? Probably I fear a black woman who who's tatted you know they've already got image in their head you know with with like he works out and stuff like that we've already got an image in their head so the reason why i've done this because you see me talking to a different people different types of people is that so you can see the way i come across it is genuine and what i'm talking about is real it's true it's happened and like i say again i'm so thankful the response i have had from it and it's just purely from educating um people on what what race does class being gay, trans, and I talk about it all, you know. I'm not just sticking to Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter has opened up for me to be able to talk about all the problems we do have. Um, And like I said, the reasons why I put it there is because I'm talking not just for my voice, but for people who feel like they can't talk. And this, and I've had people message me who've outright said, you know, I didn't understand anything until um, I listened to you. Yeah. And it's just giving that chance to digest um, and just talk. And they see me in my home talking a normal conversation without talking angrily. And, you know, and that's understandable why a lot of black people do talk from anger because I are still living it, still feeling it. I'm not saying I don't live it. I'm not saying I don't feel it. But I know for people don't like to listen to anger and people don't like to listen to raised voices. So what I do, I take their anger and their emotions, bring it down to a level of voice that people can can hear um so i'm talking for them
0: right one question before we plug everything and get to the final four as we're transitioning (laughs) out this lockdown and we're getting we're getting a new leveled up wiley coming out of this you've spoken about a couple of your projects and i'll get you to plug everything after this question but how are you feeling about transitioning out of lockdown and how do you feel with just all these amazing opportunities, I guess, that presented themselves as you kind of transition into, I, I almost scared to say normal, but I guess a pre COVID life, I guess in some way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and um, just can continue working on myself mm. firstly, so I can obviously help everyone else. So work on myself and um, just get on the next stage of these injuries and, um, and then progress forward in that way, and then just coming out of this, um, a lot more grateful, a lot more open, a lot more relaxed. Stop living life in a, a fast pace. Yeah, and I just want to embrace everything I'm doing a lot more and things around me, um, and learn to enjoy the process. Um, so yeah, that's that's it really. Like I, you know, saying like I'm just excited for what's to come. You know, like it has been a lot of dark days, but the whole time I've, I've still been excited. I've been excited, you know. Um, mm. I'm very grateful for life, um, so I'm just excited to see what's next.
0: That's amazing. Right, we do have a final four questions, but before we do that, because I know I'd forget otherwise, please plug all the ways we can find more Wiley going forward.
1: <laughs> it mainly is it's, it's Wiley Can Lift on everything. Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook. It's just Wiley Can Lift but just keep on top of that. And then there you'll see when up uh, projects are coming up next. Um, Keep an eye on our IGTV um, and anything you see there, like um, what's been posted already, like let me educate you ones, please reshare and just send them on to friends. And that's it really. Just, just keep on supporting and i appreciate and I see and hear every single one of you.
0: Big things are on the way. So So tune in, tune in. Um, Right, Wiley. These are the final four questions. I need to work a way of rephrasing it because it used to be these are the deeper life questions, but obviously these natural conversations go there anyway. But these are <laughs> these are um, these are four questions that I ask everyone. They've slightly changed for this back end of season three, but yeah, they're just questions that are, they're they're more to general life, as it were. So okay. the first question. If I was to give you a megaphone that spoke to the entire world and you could share one message, what would it be?
1: Open your hearts.
0: I love it. That's awesome. I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> um, number two, what's your biggest personal struggle that many people may not know about?
1: Probably anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Anxiety of thinking everything. <laughs>
0: I hear that. That's a big one of mine. Um Number three, what are three personality traits slash characteristics that you would say you've built your life upon up to this point?
1: Okay, so I build my life around a lot of humour. Um, you know, you probably see my IGTV. I could be talking about the most serious thing, but I'll make sure everyone has a little laugh in there as well. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the things I like stand by is treat people how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And then um, just live yours.
0: Maybe. Live yours. I like that one a lot. I'm a big fan of that one. Um, last question. It's one of my favourite questions that I get to ask. Many years into the future, your time as Chloe Wiley is coming to an end. The person closest to you only has one sentence to describe you and your time here on Earth. What would you hope that would be?
1: Boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I feel like they would say, like, did everything can have power not to to waste a single moment? Uh, I think that's the one thing because, you know, that's what I do. I try and live my life, that I don't waste a single moment, single minute, single seconds. Like, I won't be in my deathbed and be like, okay, cool, take me.
0: Yes, I love that. That's, that's probably the closest I've ever had to an answer that's similar to mine. Is it? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously I think about it in my head. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, what happens the day that I ever have to answer a question like that? But, um, yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Wiley, I appreciate your time so much. Um, being able to talk to you is a pleasure. It's, I cannot recommend for people listening right now, please go check out what Wiley's got going on. It's been incredibly educational, but it's also been, like, really heartwarming in terms of seeing, like, your voice grow and your platform grow and yeah i just really believe in what you're doing and the work you're doing and i think it needs to be celebrated so yeah please go check out wiley um and yeah let's say goodbye to everyone bye everyone bye
1: Bye, everyone